Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I am your host, Christopher Chan, your advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and uh, your Commodore of Cocktails. It's great to be back in studio uh, every Saturday night right here in 570 KVI. Uh, wow, what a week. I'm sure uh, we can uh, check out the statistics, but uh, I bet everyone's drinking a little more this week. Um, some big news and some great weather. Remember, we had 70 degrees the other day. That was fantastic. Um, and uh, we're, we're approaching on the holiday time. And uh, i got to tell you, tomorrow is the Holiday Wine Fest. Uh, it's at the Seattle Center Exhibition Hall. It's Sunday, noon to 4. Uh, for 40 bucks, you get to taste, uh, gosh, unlimited wine tastings. Uh, we have spirits. We have Stella Artois beer. Um, we've got some ciders and uh, a host of food samples and some artisan shopping. So come on down. Uh, it's noon to 4 at the Seattle Center Exhibition Hall. The tickets are available at HolidayWineFest.com. And the Seahawk game starts at 5.30 on Sunday night, so you can come have a little pre-funk and head home safely, of course, and uh, enjoy the game. Um, but I'm about to enjoy some great wines. I've got a, a, a relatively newcomer to the Northwest. His name is uh, Trevor Schlanda. He is with Freeze Family Winery, and he's a producer of uh, the winemaker for Duck Pond Cellars down in Oregon. Uh, good wines, and... Uh, uh, the Fries family has a long history of uh, viticulture, and actually, I think they were growing crops before the grape scene. Um, but right now, uh, Trevor Shalanda, welcome to Happy Hour. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Uh, um, apparently, they haven't counted my vote yet because I <laughs> mailed it in, but I'm sure it's going to make a difference. Absolutely. Um, you are from you from California. Actually, originally Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yep. Okay. Any grapes over there in Massachusetts? Uh, surprisingly so. There's uh, about 12 vineyards out there that no one ever knows. Wow. <laughs> Have they got the Vidal or Norton or Seval uh, Blanc or something? A little bit. There's actually uh, actually one of America's greatest sparklings as well, uh, surprisingly enough, out in Westport. Trump? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not so much. No. But, uh, yeah, Westport Rivers. It's actually a, a great little winery. Uh, just uh, southwest of Boston. So. Right. I was actually out there uh, in the uh, East Coast uh, last year, and I went to uh, a winery in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really fun, really warm, but uh, everyone was digging it. It was cool to see. They made a bunch of wine. So I want to try some of those Native American, or those uh, uh, Native uh, Vitis uh, Rupestris, I think they are, Berlandria. Vitis Americana. Vitis Americana. Nice and foxy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Ringing it back. Yeah. Um, so how did you end up from Massachusetts into the wine business? Yeah. Um, actually, uh, I was destined to be a professor. That's what I wanted to do. Um and actually, I was a research geneticist. That's where I started out. Um, kind of got into grad school, realized that uh, wine was a lot more fun. Right. So I uh, left grad school, went down to uh, New Zealand, worked my first harvest down uh, there. North Island, South Island? Uh, South Island. Uh-huh. So I was in Marlborough for okay. five months, yeah. then, then toured central Otago for another. Um, beautiful place. Yeah. Uh, and then made my way uh, to California where uh, I started as a harvest intern at William Selium. Mm-hmm. Um, nice small lot, high-end Pinot Noir producer. Uh, and then I was there, uh, became the cellar master after the harvest, assistant winemaker after that, and uh, was there for a total of five years. Um, moved on uh, to a custom crush in Napa, 
um, where you know 50 different clients, 3,000 tons a year. I uh, kind of got a little bit more experience there, and then. Like with, uh, with something other than Pinot Noir? <laughs> um, we did about 100 tons of Pinot Noir and uh, really? a lot of cab. Oh, yeah, um, of A lot course. of cab, a lot of zen, um, but a lot of fun stuff. And how uh, many years were you? You said five years at Custom Crush? Uh, three years at Custom Crush. Okay. So, uh, what vintages were those? Uh, that was 2012 through 2015. Okay. Um, so um, good set of wines that came out of there. Um, you know, Is there a standout vintage for you? Uh, you know, I really enjoyed the 13s. Uh, there was a lot going on to it. Um, not a huge harvest. A um, lot going on um, as far as just texture and quality. Um, as far as the fruit coming in, uh, it was easy. So from my side, it's always, you know, it's a combination of production uh, capacity and, and ability. And also, you know, you know, it, when you're able to do that, you get these wines that are just amazing. They just end up, uh, you get the care and attention on each of them. So William Salem is uh, is a huge name in the uh, California Pinot world, and more importantly, the Pinot Noir world uh, worldwide. And uh, you were there for five years, you said? Five years. Five yep. years. And so th- that was, what, 08 through 012? Uh, 07 through 11. 07 so, through 11, right. Okay. Um, so it kind of has the notoriety. I mean, people cherry pick this one every day, but uh, we got 100 points from uh, the wine enthusiast uh, on our state bottling, uh, which was the, the second uh, commercial release of that that bottling. So it was a pretty special time to be there. Uh, a lot going on. Um, got to work under a great winemaker, uh, Bob Cabral. Oh, um, yeah. I met Bob. Yep. Yeah, and it's, uh, well, I was at the Russian River Pinot Summit. Yeah, he's a great guy. A um, lot going on. Um, learned a lot from him. Um, he kind of he helped a bit. Um, you know, great co-workers. Um, now one is actually up in uh, Canada, up in the Okanagan. Um, Phil McGann. Um, he was my associate winemaker. He's the head winemaker up at uh, Checkmate up there now. Interesting. Um, making some some killer Chardonnay. So wow, um, good group of people. Um, learned a lot there. And so. uh, you saw an ad in Wine Business Monthly and said someone's looking or was through the grapevine. How does someone find you from, you know, the well-respected area of Napa Valley and Russian River up to, or Sonoma, up to uh, Oregon? Yeah, I mean, basically, I've been looking to come to Oregon for a long time. Um, I think I actually started looking in 2009 um, to move up here. Um, and truly, uh, yeah, it was on Wine Business, uh, but <laughs> it, it was a recruiter um, who, you know, you know, looking for a change. Uh, at Freeze Family, um, so kind of taking that brand in a, a whole new direction, and, and and just really create what they needed to. So um, yeah, and you know, I just have wanted to come to Oregon. I think uh, California makes great wine every year, but the Pacific Northwest has the ability to make great wine, um, which sometimes just lacks wow. in California. Wow, wow, that's <laughs> big props for the Pacific Northwest here. So. Speaking with Trevor Shalanda, who is the, the chief winemaker for the Freeze family and Duck Pond Cellars down in Oregon. Let's talk about the Freeze family real quick. Um, they've owned, uh, it's a longtime family. You said they mentioned off air they have 1,200 plus acres of vineyards? Yeah, so uh, two brands owned by the Freeze family. Uh, they own Duck Pond Cellars and Desert Wind. Uh, Duck Pond being their uh, Pinot Noir focus brand, Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, uh, down in uh, Oregon. And then they've got Desert Wind, which are the big reds, Cab Merlot, uh, our wonderful Ruah blend uh, that we have out in the I market. I love that Ruah. Yeah, it's a, it's a killer. Um, it's, and it's so affordable. I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a great price for it. Um, and it really just, uh, you know, I, I, we make a ton of it, and I wish we could make more. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, we're getting to that point where it's, it's you know, it's just such a, a killer wine and good sales item for us. Um, but yeah, all estate grown. That's the one thing people kind of miss about us is that uh, we truly we grow all the grapes. We actually do pretty much everything. Um, 
we actually have our own grafting facility. We make our own plants. We do all our own farming. We do all of our own grape growing. We do all of our own winemaking. Uh, actually, do our own bottling. We have our own bottling line. Uh, we do our own case fulfillment. So basically, by the time a wine comes out of uh, uh, Freeze Family Cellars, uh, we have touched it 15 to 20 times, the winemaking team. And so, then all the vines as well and all the grape clusters. And do you have all the good, cool toys, the optical sorters, or do you have a great crew for triage? Uh, you know, honestly, um, you know, optical sorters are fun. I, I like them to a point. Uh, we actually take care of it out in the vineyard for the most part. Um, we do a great job of dropping fruit before harvest. Um, and making sure that anything green or uh, or diseased is gone. Um, and then we have really great uh, machine harvesters. Um, that's actually one of our, our secrets to success is we use Polonc, oh. Polonc machine harvesters, and they are the best in the business. They're extremely expensive, um, <laughs> and, you know, they're absolutely wonderful. I mean, I came in, and I was like, oh, do we have all these toys in the winery? And Greg's like, no, but we use Polonks out in the field. I was like, oh, good. We're, we're fine. And those um, are the one little fingers that just go by and pluck them off? Or? Yep. They do a great job. They actually have kind of a whacking rotor yeah. thing to them. Um, but actually, this year, we're we're going to probably, uh, well, I know we are, uh, we're going to lease a, a nut, their Optima, which is actually does, it does uh, optical sort in the field on the Polonk. So it's just something really cool. Wow. Um, you know, it's just that extra level that, you know. Is it like a drone? You don't have to go drive it yourself? You can just <laughs> GPS it? See, and that's the biggest thing. One of the people who is always out on that uh, on that harvester during harvest is is Doug, uh, the patriarch of the family. So he's out there um, working a ton of hours, machine harvesting for eight hours a day, and then uh, you know I'll see him, at, see him at six in the morning, and he's just ready to go again. So he's he's a well. Know, that's a good. Uh, that's the leadership. Uh, you know, playing the part. It's yeah. important. Uh, how far away do you live? Did they get you accommodations? Is you know, I mean, you're probably making seven figures. You probably can own your own <laughs> palace. Is that right? Uh, you know, next next week. Um, no, but uh, I actually live up in Portland. So um, I actually came up in May. Uh, that's when I started and had two weeks to find a place. Um, and basically, I was like, you know what? I'll look around Dundee and Newburgh, but. Uh, one of the beauties of living in Oregon and uh, the Portland area is that you can actually get away from the winery for a little bit. Uh, right. um, and there, there's something special about that. Yeah, Portland's um, a, a vibrant city. It's, it reminds me of uh, Seattle. You know, it's always like 20 years behind, but uh, in a good way <laughs> because we were going through that grunge phase back then, yeah. so it worked out pretty well. Yeah. Um, how, how, what were some of the questions you asked when you wanted to, when you were going through the hiring process? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things to me is uh, what do you guys want to do? That that really was it, because um, I had tasted the wines before, you know, and, and any good interviewee will go out and try the wines first. Um, and I said, okay, well, what where do you want to go? Um, what do you want to take this to? Do you want to do you want to continue to make this style of wine, or do you want to play with some things? And for me, I, I was hoping they'd say play with things. <laughs> um, and luckily, they've been great about it. Anything I've suggested, uh, you know, and that was kind of where it went into. Um, I had free reign to do a lot of things, uh, make a lot of winemaking technique changes. Um, make new products um, and grow the direct to consumer side as well as our wholesale brand. So we're kind of a mix. Um, you know, we're about on the on the duck pond side. We're about fifty thousand cases of wholesale, and that's split between Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, and Chardonnay, um, being uh, one of the best uh, you know Pinot Noir brands in Washington. Um, we've got we've had quite a, a good run in Oregon as well. Um, you know, expanding out to new markets. I'm like, do we want to continue that and push that? But also, um, what kind of style are we looking for? And is, that's is this like the seventeenth year? I'm trying to remember. Was it 1996, 98, 1993, 93? 
um, was the first vintage. Okay. Um, so it's actually 23 years on. And interesting. So you went through a walkthrough with uh, the winemaking team at the time, and they told you how they did it. So Because you just got here in May. You weren't making any wine yet, of course. But you did it just this harvest is what you're saying. Yep. I see. Okay. So, and it was kind of cool. So, you know, I, I went through and basically made it a winery of two wineries. So we have the wholesale brand that, you know, we do in larger ferments. It keeps costs down and, and creates some really price-friendly wines that are delicious. Um, of course, estate fruit. So that's one of those things. We've, we've brought in good fruit, so let's just not mess it up. Um, and then I basically made a 100-ton small lot facility where we basically made... <laughs> My assistant winemaker will tell you we did a uh, hundred fermenters of a ton and a half, a ton, ton and a half each, and basically uh, did everything by gravity. So we uh, drained our tanks by gravity, uh, and then uh, even after pressing, we lifted it up uh, and then brain, you know, went direct to barrel uh, via gravity. So a lot more gentle process, right? Um, creating these these you know wines of precision and texture uh and really trying to drive that the you know those things how exciting how many wines you say you have uh five, three core varieties mm -hmm. and uh is there just one extension of those you say you have two wineries in one so you've got the duck pond label and there's something else or no uh it'll all be under duck pond it really just the split comes uh for the most part what our wholesale brand is um, which are those three core products and then the direct to consumer which is a whole lot of fun for me because uh this year i'm I've got the ability to make about 26 different wines. Um, we're just in that, that figuring out, kind of hashing it out phase. And, you know, exploring the vineyards, which is something that I wanted to do, uh, and really break it down by lot, by clone, by, you know, different yeast types and a bunch of different things there. Yeah, so. now there's the professor coming out right <laughs> <laughs> So, God. Did you actually go about around about town and uh, meet some of the other vineyard uh, growers and, and vineyards and winemakers? Did you ingratiate yourself to the community? Yeah, I'm working on that for sure. Um, that's always a lifelong thing. It's like, let's go out and drink a little bit. Um, but luckily, I've had a, a couple of interns uh, at William Selliam who've now come up here and moved up here. Oh, um, wow. So I already know about six or seven people that are up here. And then uh, kind of working my way into the community and trying to meet as many people as possible. All right. Um, coming up in May, it's a little difficult, but... Yeah. Well, <laughs> congratulations and welcome to uh, the show. Speaking with Trevor Shalanda, the uh, head winemaker for Freeze Family Vineyard uh, and Winery. When we come back from this break, we're going to try some of uh, the current releases and the upcoming releases. So stick around, folks. Be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. John Carlson, live and local, 6 to 10 a.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, welcome back. It's time for round two. Hope you got something great in your glass. I'm staring at uh, two glasses of wine in front of me, courtesy of my pal, Trevor Shalana, who's the new uh, chief winemaker for Freeze Family Winery and uh, Duck Pond Cellars down in Oregon, came up from California via Massachusetts, via New Zealand, and <laughs> apparently a lifelong dream to become an Oregonian, so congratulations. Uh, you've got a couple white wines here. Let's talk about those. Yeah. So uh, a couple things I brought today uh, on the white side uh, is really uh, our 2015 uh, Pinot Gris, uh, which uh, viewers will find out in the uh, marketplace right now, um, and basically, uh, you know, cleaner, crisper style, um, designed to be food-friendly every day, um, you know, really just great texture, good acidity, um, good food-pairing wine. 
Uh, delicious, nice and clean. It has um, kind of the uh, Japanese pear and a touch of uh, apricot or something in there. Uh, the acid, it's its kind of a full-bodied, well-rounded wine, and the acid just finishes with a nice crispness on, on the end. Um, and I got to say that's natural acidity because it's very well-balanced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, no acid additions necessary there. Um, it's one of those things that's, uh, that was, uh, you know, that was one of those things of making Pinot Gris. I, I didn't quite expect it to to go the the route that it did, starting with a pH of 3.4 in the fermenter um, and ending up with a pH of 3.17. I was like, okay, it went down. Usually it goes up through ferment. but um, Right, because the pH, if it goes up, means your acid's falling down. Exactly. But this one actually went down. And, hmm. Yeah, it was kind Things of Things are thing. different than Dundee. Um, definitely buffering uh, capacity. I was like, okay, well, we'll see how it comes out at the end, um, at least on the finish. So... Hence the the second wine, which is actually the 2016 counterpart. Mm-hmm. This is a obviously it's cloudy at this point. Uh, this is uh, newly fermented, actually sulfured about a week and a half ago. So uh, we're looking at a tank sample of the wholesale. So this is its counterpart for 2016. Um, took a few different winemaking liberties on this one. So this didn't go through uh, distillage. This is just yeast in here, or is this needing f- some filtering? Uh, this will eventually get filtered. Uh-huh. At this point, uh, things are settling out. So, you know, through cold settling and stuff like that, we'll we'll get the, the yeast and uh, some tartrate out. Um, but the thing about this, the biggest difference between how these wines were made um, is the, the 2015 was uh, racked off heavy lees. Um, so I said, you know what, Chardonnay, I've always liked to make uh, where I actually just go ahead and press it and ferment it on heavy leaves. So I was like, let's try that on Pinot Gris. And the worry is always it gets a little phenolic-y, a little, right. a little, little hard, a little rough. Um, but the benefit is you build palate weight. And that's what I was going for here is something a bit more rich, textured, a little more dense. And it seems like there's more of a malic acid spritz to this uh, on the attack. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you're also looking at a, a CO2 level that's about 2,000 parts per million. Oh, that's so why. we're a little fizzy. Yeah, so I said it got some <laughs> spritz to it. And, of course, yeah. carbonic acid is CO2, and it is actually um, a little bit bitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, gives you that ah, finish. Uh, very cool. So what yeast? Uh, is this the same yeast? Did you bring in a yeast? Is this, you know, like people say native, but it's always the dominant yeast. So I think we should get away from native. We just say the dominant yeast, right? Yep. Um, given it was my first vintage at, at Duck Pond, I kind of <laughs> kind of want to take too many chances of just throwing it in a tank and seeing what happened. Um, now, for this one, uh, I use a, a mix of different yeasts. Uh, this is a combination um, of some Lafort yeasts um, that we went ahead. Uh, uh, VL3, uh, which is one of theirs, uh, it's, you know, it's designed to focus on tropical aromatics and fruit, which was something I was trying to accentuate. Um, you know, but... Uh, everything you know fermented nice and clean, which was the important part. Mm-hmm. None of that matchsticky kind of quality. Um, but you know, again, I was trying to build that palate weight. That was my biggest thing. So to do that, I actually drew out the ferments as well. So these actually averaged. A so were cold stabilized or whatever you uh, a, temperature. Just, a, just temperature controlled. So um, I fermented around uh, between forty and forty-five degrees. Um, wow, and that ran- is slow. It's <laughs> laggering almost. And then uh, ran it out. Actually, uh, my ferments averaged 45 days uh, for Pinot Gris. So I'm hoping to, to keep some of those beautiful aldehydes. Um, so really? Some of those textures, some of that quality. Going Sherry-esque. Um, yeah, and really just kind of just a bit of that uh, and just kind of fatten it out. Bring it just a little bit more weight. Um, and I think that's that's kind of the difference here. Um, and price points for these, um, I'm going to say quite reasonable. I see one is in, obviously, you've got... Uh, this, the the stelvin the screw cap for the Pinot Gris and um, but the other one was corked because that's how you got to do a barrel sample. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I could have stelvined it for you, but <laughs> fire um, up the line. It was way easier to cork it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean it's you know it's eleven ninety nine, um, you know around the area, so it's it's a great value, um, and I think it's you know that's once you start adding a little bit more intrigue, a little more palette weight, it becomes an even better value. Yeah, and you know when it comes to Pinot Grigio, I think it it sort of gets uh, overlooked quite often. Um, Pinot Grigio is the kind of the you know, people want to call their wines that, but to me it's a great Thanksgiving wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really goes well with uh, with with turkey and with. Uh, Perhaps some stuffing. I mean, because turkey is relatively dry, so you don't need any tannin. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have Pinot Noir, which is also nice and bright fruit. So you did bring some Pinot Noirs, but of course the Pinot Gris are available at areas like QFC, and you said they're eleven ninety nine. Mm-hmm. That's a deal. Yep. Yep. Good stuff. Yep. All right. So the two red wines we have are. Uh, so again, kind of did the same exact thing for you here. Um, this is kind of the fun transition uh, of being a uh, a winemaker. Uh, I like showing off what we've got, and I like to show my stuff even better. Because um, <laughs> then you get to tell me how good I am. Um, but the 2015, uh, wow. it's, <laughs> the 2015, this is what you'll find out in the marketplace. This is our wholesale Pinot Noir. Um, it's a blend of our, uh, our five Willamette vineyards plus uh, our Umqua vineyard. Uh, which is down in the southern uh, part of Oregon. I'm getting some really ripe fruit on this, but it looks like it's more Willamette Valley. So, yep, it's about fifty-fifty uh, in the 2015. Um, you know, it's one of those things where uh, it wasn't a huge color vintage, um, so you do end up with a lighter, lighter color tone to it, um, and a little bit. Again, this is our approachable everyday drinker. This is what's designed to be that you know, you know, some bright cherry. Every day, fruit. any day, anytime. It goes with everything. Tuesday afternoon, <laughs> Wednesday. Dry Cheerios. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, so it's something that's just you know, it, it's got a little touch of oak to it, um, but not overpowering, and it's really just designed to showcase clean, fresh Oregon Pinot Noir. That is a uh, very straightforward, clean and fresh Oregon Pinot Noir. Um, it's it's it has a bit of intrigue and interest and complexity to it, but for the most part, it's you're getting just nice ripe fruit, um, very palatable tannins, um, and it's juicy and feels good and it finishes dry. So you want to take another sip, which I think is the key yep. to you know marketing wine. <laughs> yeah, and I mean you know it goes into my winemaking style. I mean I truly just finished this wine. Uh, I was using you know the previous winemaker's raw material. Um, so that's always kind of a fun transition uh, to go in there because you want to put a little bit of your stamp on it um, so people are not surprised when you go, oh, my God, here's my wine. Um, and then you're also kind of starting with something that might not have been exactly where your your focus was. All right. Now, I'm looking at another glass set. Uh, <laughs> if I were to blind this, I'd be on some maybe the Malbec Syrah path here because it is, <laughs> it is opaque uh, purple red with a little fuchsia on the rim. So this is a 2016 Pinot Noir um, out of Willamette Valley, um, out of one of our single vineyards. This is uh, Willow Creek, um, one of our, uh, actually our only site uh, on rootstock. The other 270 acres in Willamette are all on their own roots. So this one uh, is a blend of clones, uh, and it kind of showcases where I'm taking my style. Um, a little bit more. This is uh, some of those hand hand harvested lots. Twenty five percent whole cluster, um, punch downs, fourteen day ferment, um, and then straight to barrel by gravity. So again, it's is designed. My two focuses. There's two things I really love: um, aromatics and texture. Um, so if you can hit those things, those are what you do. People talk about can talk about fruit all day and what fruit quality you get. You you did that at picking. 
everything else. <laughs> you made a good decision or you made a bad decision. And then from there on out, the only thing you can really affect is how it smells and how it, how it feels on your, on your palate. Well, this reminds me of, of California. It does. It's got, it's got the weight. It's got the power and the juiciness. Um, the structure is there. Obviously, it's a very young and fresh wine, so I'm getting uh, some bright acidity. It's probably got some CO2 in it as well. Um, but it's definitely more complex, and the fruit is a little uh, more black raspberry, um, black cherry versus uh, red raspberry, and perhaps a bit of uh, uh, you know dried strawberry. So, uh, pretty cool. I think you could be onto something. And uh, you know, I was down at, in Russian River. The wines were the pinots were so dark. I had to believe they were adding syrah to it. But this is all <laughs> natural color. All natural color. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, again, we're we're kind of blessed with color up here in Oregon. That's that's the one fun part we have. And, you know, speaking to California, I didn't intend to make that. Um, but this year it's it's a California vintage. Everything was in so early. My last fruit I picked on October 1st. I mean, last year they they started picking Willamette on September 17th. So, it's like it, it was amazing. Um price points for these wines? This one, um, you know, again, this will go in about four different blends. 14.99. This for one. the right, not this one. This will be <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. This will be a forty dollar wine. Yep, the twenty fifteen is 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 uh, that'll be a fourteen ninety nine out on the shelf. So again, great value for every day. Um, and then again, the twenty sixteen. This one will go into four different products, probably um, ranging from uh, a Willamette Valley Reserve, which will actually be in our wholesale market at. 25 to 30. Wow. Um, exactly. You can't believe those prices up here. <laughs> Going on up to, uh, you know, 52 for the taste room. Wonderful. Website to find some more information? Uh, yeah. You can find us at uh, www.duckpondcellars.com. Fantastic. Trevor Shalanda, uh, the new head winemaker, welcome to uh, the Pacific Northwest. And congratulations. Very tasty wines. I look forward to uh, trying more of your wines as we come in the future. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, folks, uh, we've got a, uh, some great wines here for Thanksgiving. I, I would definitely recommend them, and it's really fun to taste a barrel sample. So you have a chance, head down to, to Willamette Valley, to Dundee, and check out a tasting room. Ask for some barrel samples. You'll get a little crazy. Don't wear any perfume, of course. Um, coming up on the show, I've got uh, the owner from Temple Distilling, A.J. Temple. So stick around, folks. Be right back on Happy Hour Radio. A Northwest Original, Lars Larson, live weekdays noon to 3, Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Well, hello, Seattle. Hope you're having a great night. Welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Time for round three. Hope you got something tasty in your glass. And I got a new pal. It's uh, A.J. Temple, the mastermind, the namesake behind Temple Distilling up in Linwood. He's uh, got some cool limoncello we're going to try and a couple gin uh, variations. So, A.J. Temple, hey, welcome to Happy Hour. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, you're wearing a Ducati shirt, which I think is cool. Uh, are you a motorcycle guy? Yeah. <laughs> All yep. right. Fair weather, but yeah, yeah, love love the Italians. And, of course, we have a limoncello, too, so that works oh, out well. How about that? Okay, so where are you from, and how did you get into distillation business? Uh, from the Seattle area my whole life, and uh, yeah, it's always the question I get asked, because I am somewhat young. I'm 28, and 
we've uh my wife and i've been into gin ever since we kind of got into the whole cocktail scene with that <laughs> my but wife and i got odd, into gin oddly yeah i know <laughs> um oddly enough it's actually uh kind of an idea that's been in the back of my mind since i was about 12 and obviously had not had gin back then but uh had you had gin at 12 you may not be in this position ex- right exactly now. yeah <laughs> things might be different but uh we were uh visiting the uk and visited the plymouth gin distillery and uh my father had some relationship with the head distiller there, Sean, and we kind of got the private tour, got to go in and see where they kept all the juniper and got to see the still working and all that cool stuff. And that just kind of always stuck in my mind as something being really cool. I've always uh, been into the culinary things, destroying the kitchen, making messes one at a time. And uh, it was one of those kind of, we get into the first quarter of our lives and go, well, let's, let's look at doing something on the business side that we can kind of turn into a legacy. And it kind of grew from there. So, All right. Yeah. So do you have uh, uh, little people in your life? Yeah. Got an 11 month old at home. So okay. he was, my wife was uh, 10 months pregnant when we opened, so she didn't even get to really say not when until... you met. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too funny. Um, okay. So you're, uh, did you go to school? Did you study? Did you look at YouTube videos? How did you get the knowledge yeah. to risk all this dough and this legacy? Exactly. A lot of self-research. And then once we started getting more and more serious, it was looking into taking classes. We uh, went to the um, ADI conference, one of the kind of national groups of distillers, and they hold classes and seminars and kind of soaking in the Is that the one here in Seattle in 2014? Yes, that's correct. I remember. I was there. I had an interview with uh, the main man. What's his name? (laughs) Uh, Bill. Yeah, it is yeah, Bill. Right yeah. on. Cool. So that uh, inspired you more because you saw all these people, all these dudes doing the same thing, yep. and uh, you saw how happy they were and stress-free. And, <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what, where did you find your equipment? Where did you find your still, or were you doing some? That was another kind of object of research to be able to put together. I mean, we use a simple pot still, so it's not a super complicated setup but we wanted very specific things with our gin we wanted the heating to be um to be even and soft so we opted for an oil bath or a bain marie jacket oh, in right. the still because we keep the botanicals in when we're distilling interesting um, so they're just floating want... around you put a um what you call we it have a, them in little sock. muslin bags muslin, yeah socks yeah. um interesting yeah. and uh you started. You found it. Your first. Uh, your first drop of E two O H or whatever it's called <laughs> was when. Uh, that would have been in May of last year. That's okay. when we first got the license to kind of turn everything on, and it was four to five months of a lot of kind of nerding out and recipe development until we finally settled on our well, first Well, I see you gin, brought so. two gins, so yes. why don't you go ahead and pour some of those for me? And, um, you know, my experience with gin is, is uh, well, I kind of got involved with uh, the alcohol early on, um, which was a good thing because uh, it somehow affected my life in a good way because now I'm a huge international radio star and everyone loves me. And <laughs> <laughs> but gin is um, gin for a long time. My grandmother drank a lot of gin. She was a beef feeder woman, and uh, she, <laughs> she loved her gin. Um, gin, to me, the juniper note was always something that you just had to really work through, and I didn't actually get gin in my, into my, um, my, my palate of, of drinks that I make until two summers ago when it was blazing hot and a gin and tonic just hit the spot. Subsequently, I was just in South Africa, 
And I like gin and tonics too. So, yeah. all right, you've got two. Tell me about Great. these. So, yeah, the first one. This is our London Dry. Um, that's the one you've got there, and this is our flagship. This is something we wanted to do to really be a classic, traditional British style gin, um, juniper forward still, but we like a good balance of citrus with a little pepper as well. Wow, just kind of well rounded in the. The challenge there was learning when to be subtle. We didn't want right. a big, in-your-face, scare people who haven't had gin off. Um, and that's just... Uh, it smells floral to me, though. It smells like the rose petal or something in here. We don't use a lot of floral ingredients. I use a good amount of um, angelica as a binder, so you get a little bit of the earthiness there. Um, fresh and things like uh, the orange peel. I couldn't settle on, do we want just bitter orange, sweet orange, or fresh orange? I use a little bit of all three just to kind of achieve the, the balance that, that we the wanted there. Too. Yeah. Um, Wow, this is really soft. Is this is this Linwood's best water? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we think so. Oh, it is incredibly soft, yeah. and that's always been one of the markers for me of any good spirit. Is like, does it burn when it hits the attack? Um, does it burn on the on the finish? This has got to be eighty proof because it doesn't taste hot to me. It's ninety. No way. Yep. It's dangerous. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, yeah. dangerous is Russell Wilson's middle name. Yes. All right. Um, very cool. How many? Uh, iterations of this did it take to get to the final recipe? Well, we started on this the smallest still, a little one liter lab still doing individual botanicals, hot, cold, figuring out maceration times for each individual one, and then blending, and then we scaled up. We used a, about a five now 15 liter Portuguese copper still to do some blends on that and run it through, and then eventually on the big still probably about 16 runs to get it all dialed in wow so. and so what happened to all that other stuff <laughs> <laughs> we still have some of it so you know a couple of years down the road we'll go back and revisit that and, okay yeah yeah you never know yep um obviously so the water is, is truly do you purify the water at all or yeah we use uh, reverse osmosis okay so just so it kind of blends right. in with so with we the already alcohol. have great water from the cascades yes. and uh, or the uh, cedar what's it called cedar river watershed um that is really tasty what is the price point for your london dry style uh, retail is about 34 Ooh, great yeah. and it says chapter one yep so that's kind of nice label. Where'd, yeah, you, where'd you. you get that design? It's that cool. is thanks to a wonderful guy named Scott Wetzel with uh, Fresh Bread Design up Fresh in Arlington. Yeah, oh, we wow. ran into him. We were uh, when we were starting. That was one thing that we're like, you know, on a really tight budget. Don't know if we can afford someone <laughs> to do a label, and we start doing it ourselves, and it just looks awful. And he uh, kind of called us out of the blue because he was doing some other spirits and beer labels, and uh, just really did awesome work for yeah, us. Yeah, that so. is really pretty, and uh, I like the shape of the bottle. That's um, it's got broad shoulders, but it's a little taller. It's a little slender. Yep. Uh, and, you know, that's the funny thing with gin. They're really trying to figure out how to market it right because, uh, you know, typically it's beef eater and boodles and Bombay and um, Tanqueray and now it's gin's really booming. And uh, lovely job. Congratulations. That is really delicious. If I can drink it straight, that means it's freaking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Chapter one, take yep. two. So take two. This is our second gin. That's uh, our Navy strength. This is our go big or go home kind of the the big bold flavor it is still a dry gin but we use a lot of fresh citrus in this one that we don't in the london dry so changed up the botanicals in yeah. it we use a lot of fresh lime peel dried grapefruit peel some cassia bark so we wanted that one to really really blend in well to a cocktail and not lose the gin and of course it's 114 proof so it is a bit hotter when we're drinking it straight like this but um, I'm a huge yeah, Negroni that's, guy. That's really and that's, warm. That's my favorite. In but there. it's not hot on the attack. It's really when you swallow you, in on, on yeah. a cold winter day, or it hasn't been too cold yet. But yep. Uh, congratulations. So, uh, grapefruit, uh, lime, mm -hmm. 
and uh, cassia bark the cassia. other one that we don't use in the london dry now, isn't that so. sort of a, a cinnamon kind of thing yep yeah. yep that gives it a little bit more body um on the mouthfeel to that than our london dry all so. right so same price point 34 retail. Uh, a little more it's but 38 on the navy Okay. And where do you find these limes? Is this like kind of a QFC thing? Or yeah, Whole Foods. Whole Foods. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You're not getting just any lime. You're getting the really, really expensive limes. Yep. And well, how many limes does it take? Um, one batch will use only 10 or 11. It's not a huge amount. You um, just peel them? Or you, 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 no, uh, we hand peel them. Yep. Uh, use a little potato peeler so we don't get any of that. The pith. pith. Yep. Mm. And uh, is everything except for the bark uh, just fresh? Um, no, most of it is dried, um, especially some of the other like lemon and uh, orange peels that we use in there, uh, just because of the consistency and all sure. the seasonal changes. We yeah, really want to do this to labor. Stay the I mean, same. Where you yep. get an orange? Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> did you, the same maceration time? Did you sort of take the cue from your first batch? A little bit, yeah. It took a lot faster to get that one, although we had such a specific vision for the london dry and we didn't have nearly as much of one for the navy strength it was more of a kind of a fun experimental gin for us which has turned into somewhat of a cult following we probably got as much of that out in bars as we do our london dry right now right on so. good stuff um i was gonna ask you a question but i can't remember right now <laughs> i'm just taken back by uh the why 114 quickly we got a minute yes so um story behind that the reason they call it navy strength is british sailors back in the 1700s would keep gin in casts on the boat oftentimes next to where the gunpowder is kept and 114 proof anything below that if you spilled it on the gunpowder couldn't ignite it and that oh. is the point where it still becomes flammable so if you ever travel to the uk uh, 100 proof over there is 57 percent their proof system's actually based on that how about that yeah. speaking with uh, aj temple of temple distilling uh, when we come back from this break we're going to have uh, some of his limoncello and perhaps a barrel rested gin sounds cool stick around you'll find out right here on happy hour radio Big names, big news. Sean Hannity, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. Talk Radio 570, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle and Puget Sound. Hey, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Time for our fourth and final segment. I've got A.J. Temple from Temple Distilling here in studio. Tried some of his Chapter 1 gin, uh, the Navy Strength, and uh, his standard, well, I guess you call it London Dry. Um, he's going to be actually at uh, the Holiday Wine Fest uh, tomorrow from noon to 4 at the Seattle Center Exposition Hall. Um, spirits, wine, cider, beer, uh, food, and artists and shopping. you got to check it out. Tickets available at HolidayWineFest.com. And when it comes to tasting, AJ, you have a tasting room? We do, yep. Small little tasting room in our distillery in Linwood. Uh, we're open Saturdays 12 to 5 and there sporadically through the week, so you can always drop us an email if you're <laughs> up in the neck of the woods and want to swing I by. We're always happy to have you. Gin, yo. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty funny. Uh, website? Uh, yep, templedistilling.com. All right. And uh, um, you're a Seattle guy, so you grew up here. Uh, what yeah. high school? Uh, Mercer Island. Oh, okay. Whoa, whoa. Well, yeah, right. yes. <laughs> well. All right. Turned out pretty well. Um, let's talk about woodcut barrel-rested gin. What's the story? Yes. So um, we love barrel-rested gin because it's one of those kind of newer sides of gin that, you know, hundreds of years ago they used to be transported in casks. So it was kind of a harken back to that, but using uh, used bourbon barrels as our 
barrels kind of lend some of that sweetness, that kind of burnt orange and vanilla from the bourbon, but you don't lose the gin. We use our Navy strength, so you get some of that citrus through it still, too. But uh, that is proofed back down to 90 like our London Dry is. Wow. You know, it's it's been a, um, a inspiration and exploration here with our uh, craft distillery movement. i got to say that not all the barrel-rested products that I've tasted have been as uh, a appealing and pleasing as this. This is well done. Thank you. What's, is that a new bourbon barrel or did you use? No, once used uh, by Two Bar Spirits just uh, right down the street. So that's why. Start with a good bourbon there. And <laughs> yeah, we love Nathan yep. uh, Kaiser at uh, Two Bar Spirits and uh, he's making good whiskey. Well, congratulations. So Woodcut is uh, 90 proof. It's in barrel for how long? Six months? Five months. Five months. Yep. All right. And uh, price point here is going to be 45 bucks. No, it's uh, 39 just to take above our All Navy. Right. So Great. Keeping it, keeping it um, affordable. Let me take Another sip. Very pleasant. Thank you. Yeah, I. I think you got something there. You, actually, these are really, really great. And I got to tell you, I haven't been a big gin fan, but um, if I can drink it straight again, it's got to be good. <laughs> All right. Uh, final one is a limoncello because you like Italian things. Yes. Yeah. And we'd been making this uh, kind of at home for years as our own recipe, bottle by bottle. Figured out how we could scale it up and. This made with gin distillery. It is, it is. It's the shocker, but it's very subtle. Um, In fact, folks who say they aren't into gin love our limoncello. Well, they are having a little gin in there too. But uh, we use the uh, the higher proof navy to pull the oils out of the lemons. Uh, Works better. It smells very oily. Just purely use organic lemons from California. We hand peel every one and cane sugar to sweeten it. That's it. Wow. And so, what do you? What do you? It's maceration, right? You just actually. Yep. Yeah, about three weeks or so. Uh huh. And uh, what size barrel or what size uh, container? Or... We do them in these, uh, gosh, 12, 12 and a half, 13 gallon um, stainless containers. Uh, they're Italian containers they often use for transporting olive oil and things like that. But yeah, very, very small batches on these just because we want to keep it as fresh as possible. You must have done a lot of home research here. Yes. I know you said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you try a lot of limoncellos from around? We the... did. And yeah, just like and gins, they vary. they vary a they lot. Vary. This yeah. is really remarkable. Um, I, I tend to gush, it seems, on the show, but I'm just lucky enough that people have products <laughs> I can gush about. <laughs> uh, this is really delicious. It's well-balanced, and it has that certain complexity. It's not overtly sweet. Yep. The acid maintains. It's got great, bright, fresh aromas, and uh, you still get that tint of gin complexity in the finish, which I think offers more because I don't like drinking sweet. I mean, to me, it's limoncello can be like too sweet lemonade. Yes. All right. Price point? Uh, That one, uh, we have small bottles and big bottles. The small ones are 23. The big ones are about 40. That's the big one I'm looking at? All right. Great stuff. AJ Temple, Temple Distilling. Website again? Uh, TempleDistilling.com. Fantastic. Thanks for joining me and sharing these great products. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Uh, Hey, folks, hope you enjoyed uh, Trevor Shalanda and AJ Temple here with uh, Temple Distilling. Great products. Um, Remember, there's still time for Holiday Wine Fest tomorrow, Sunday, uh, noon to 4 at the Seattle Center Exhibition Hall. Uh, Tickets available at HolidayWineFest.com. And uh, if you're making plans, uh, you'll find uh, great wines for Thanksgiving, great wines for any holiday. Holiday, you're serving great wines just to drink. That's it. <laughs> uh, we, we just had some lightning in the studio, and uh, it startled me for a second. Um, and maybe it's the Trumpageddon coming. Who knows? And uh, so I'll, I'll be down there tomorrow. Hope to uh, come by, say hi. We'll have uh, lots of vendors, and AJ Temple will be there. Are you serving all those products, AJ? We will. Yep. 
Oh, we are. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good. And um, my my engineer tells me that we have just a touch more time. So, uh, price. You said you have a little bottle. Is that is that the only little bottle you carry? Or you produce for your. It is. Yep. All right. But we will have those with us. At the- I'm going to take those. So this is really pretty tasty. Thank you. And we've we've got some uh, some of our fans here in the studio <laughs> checking it out. I'm sure they'll find it just as tasty. Um, pure cane sugar. Yep. Yep, nothing else. No artificial colors or sweeteners or anything. Yeah, and that's a beautiful color, too. Lovely hue. Hey, pal, thanks a lot. I'll see you tomorrow at uh, the Holiday Wine Fest. Sounds great. Hey, folks, hope you enjoyed the show and uh, us tasting all these great products. Um, When you're out and about, be sure you get a designated driver, because life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers. Cheers.